Hey friends, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this message today. Everything that the Lord shows me is designed to impact people's lives and advance the kingdom in a mighty way. My prayer is that you would be so blessed and so rooted and so established in the more that the Lord has in store for your life. And remember, stay fired up! This story of Jesus' birth was divinely orchestrated from every component and aspect so it could happen exactly the way God wanted it to happen. 13 Old Testament prophecies fulfilled to a T just on the birth of Jesus. From Isaiah, Jeremiah, David, to, to a promise to Jacob, to a promise to the tribe of Judah that the Messiah would come through that lineage. 13 specific, to Bethlehem, the least of the cities of them all. Of the thousands of cities in Judea, the least of them was considered Bethlehem. And it had to be so divinely orchestrated to get Jesus to be born in Bethlehem because uh, Joseph and Mary were from Nazareth. And if there had not been a decree by Caesar Augustus for a census and a tax, there'd be no way that Jesus would have been born in Bethlehem to fulfill the specific prophecy. 13 specific words in the Old Testament of hundreds and hundreds of years prior were fulfilled in one night, in one night. Had Mary and Joseph not been obedient to not only what God was saying and doing, but obedient to the natural laws of the land, they wouldn't have gone because you have to understand that it was a three-day mule ride journey from Nazareth. It's roughly 75 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. That's a three-day journey. And she was probably 40 weeks pregnant. It says, when the fullness of time had come. And she just gets there. First night, the inn's full, so they got to give birth in the manger, but she's 40 weeks right. I just bring it down to everyday terminology for you. I know the story. Gosh, I preach on it every Christmas, for goodness sakes. I'll be doing it the rest of my life. But how does it make it relevant? Had there not been a willingness and obedience and a divine intervention from God through signs and the miraculous in every way, there would be no fulfillment of prophecy, and then there could have been a doubt that Jesus was really the Messiah. Understand that. So God would have to divinely orchestrate everything in order to make it happen. First of all, I mean, let's just talk about some of the supernatural events, and then I'll get to these two points I have. What are the supernatural events? They're engaged, living in Nazareth. She's a young bride, she's, she, or a young betrothed bride, about 14 years old. That's not uncommon, was not uncommon for the day in that culture. She was a virgin. She was a woman of favor. She was a woman that had honored the ways of the Lord and was very, very knowledgeable in who God was because right after the angel Gabriel sh- shows up to her in Luke chapter 2, she sings a song. And if you read through the lyrics of the song that she sings, In our best day, we probably couldn't write a song like that. I'm not kidding you. I mean, maybe we could, but it was really, really supernaturally incredible and shows the depth of knowledge and insight and wisdom that this 14-year-old girl had. And there's so many prophetic pictures. Man, I could preach on this story for the rest of the year, and I'll bring pieces and components of it out. But I love the fact that God says, I'm coming to the next generation. I'm coming to a young bride, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to do it so incredible. I'm going to overshadow her with the power of the Holy Spirit and so that she won't be afraid and that she'll say yes. The best way that I can do it is not by sending a prophet. 
is not by sending someone else to give her the word, but to send the angel Gabriel in the natural. It's confounding. So here comes the angel Gabriel. He, he makes it very clear what his name will be called and what he's going to do. He'll take away the sins of the world, and you're going to call his name Jesus, which means deliverer. Same name as Joshua in the Old Testament, who led the, the, the Israelites into the promised land. Now Jesus would lead us to the promised land. The deliverer. The one who rescues. That's what it means. The one who comes to your aid, your defense, when you're helpless and hopeless, he's going to come, and he's going to rescue you. That's what his name means. He will be called. Jesus, right? It's powerful because we all need rescuing and delivering. We all need what he has to give. And so then, shortly after that story, Joseph finds out she's pregnant. Now, if you bring it down to modern day times, if you're engaged, husbands, and your, your betrothed fiance becomes pregnant, we got a problem. Let's just be real about it. And so Joseph, being a just man, taught this last week, just man means that he was upright in every way and he was honorable and he was integrous prior to the visitation. The more comes when we position ourselves for what God wants to do. God wants to make you just men. And if you understand what just means, it means to do justice, it means to do right, it means to be upright, and it means to follow the moral laws, moral laws, not man-made laws of God. Powerful in every way. And so Joseph's thinking to himself, I got I to gotta put her away secretly, because I don't want to front her out. I don't want to make a spectacle of my fiance. That's what just men do. They don't make spectacles out of other people. They don't front people out in a wrong way because it's not about selfish gain. And so he's thinking to himself what he's going to do. And Joseph, whose name means dream, dreamer, has a dream. Dream number one of five dreams just in Matthew, from Matthew 1 to Matthew chapter 2, five dreams. And Joseph, I mean, Joseph gets all his words through dreams, by the way. If you want to know how Joseph is hearing the voice of the Lord, just read Matthew chapter 2 and Matthew 1 and 2. Dream number one, angel appears to him in a dream and says, what has happened is of the Holy Spirit. Don't do what you're going to do. I'll paraphrase it for you. His name's going to be called Jesus. He's going to be great. His kingdom be no end. All these wonderful things. All this was fulfilled that unto us a child is born and we'll call his name Emmanuel, God with us. I love what she said today, what Lauren said. He's God with us, no longer God far from us, God with us, okay? And that was a lot of my last week's message. And so Joseph basically says, okay, and he believes, and he decides not to put her away, and he's going to go ahead and take the risk of what everybody would say and do and believe God in the midst of supernatural that confounds everything that you would believe in the natural. Now, I'm going to just tell you right now, God is not impregnating virgins today like that. I'm just telling you. Okay, so don't be looking for that kind of sign. He's still impregnating people with himself. He's still birth, producing a vision to be birthed, to birth a promise of himself out of you. And now he's doing it supernaturally through being born again. Same thing, just different way. And so he comes and he rescues and he imparts himself into you to birth something beautiful so that there can be peace on earth, goodwill towards men, and to save people from their sins. Understand the word sins. The sins is a term that comes like from an archer that's shooting a target that simply is missing the target. That's what you got to understand sin is. It means you're missing the mark. It really means God's got something better for you 
than what you've been doing. This isn't the best, more excellent way. That's what it really means, okay? So he would come to save, which is the word sozo, which means to make you whole. That's rescue, defend, and deliver. He wants you holistic. He wants to make you everything he wants you to be, and that's what he would do when he'd come, right? And so it's powerful, powerful understanding that everything had to line up purposely for Jesus to be born exactly the way the prophecies were declared, okay? So let's take a look at Luke chapter 2. Let's pull it up on the screen. We're going to start with verse 1. We're going to read from verse 1 to verse 7, and uh, in the sound booth, if you'll just uh, pull up verse 1, and then we'll just read it along. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, verse 2. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. By the way, that's another fulfillment of prophecy. The Messiah had to come through the lineage of David. The promise, the covenant promise of the Messiah was made to David's lineage, okay? To be registered with Mary's betrothed wife who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. So probably, what, 40 weeks? Does that sound about right? We have nursing and delivery, or uh, nursing and delivery. Baby and labor and delivery. Thank you, nurse, right here. And so probably about 40 weeks, she brought, and it says, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for an inn, or the, no room in the inn. Let me just break a couple things down for you real quick. The word manger in the Greek the actual word for the word manger means the actual long trough where you would put hay in where the animals would feed. Manger doesn't necessarily mean a barn or a stable. It's understood that Jesus had to go to the barn or the stable because he was laid in the place where the animals eat. That's the first meaning. It it means the trough or a crib. So Jesus' first bassinet was a horse trough or an animal trough. Now, this is a manger. You're probably not having a ton of head of cattle in there. You're probably having donkeys and horses and goats, those types of farm animals, maybe some chickens, who knows. But the point is, is that we don't even have a a word that there were animals there. We just know it was a manger, and we deduct that it was a stable or a barn because the word manger means the place where the animals eat. Now, as I'm telling you this, I want you to start making a connection because there's some connections that are very important for today. Jesus was laid right where the animals eat. Okay? It's basically a long open box where where the fodder was put in for the animals to eat. Okay? So we deduct that it was a barn or a stall. There's so many prophetic significances about this because Jesus would be born in the most uncommon place that nobody would suspect. Think about the manger. It would be unsanitary, to say the least. It would be in a, he would be put in the trough. We don't get any word that, and they cleaned the trough, and they washed it, and they put white linen cloths. Instead, it was, it was swaddling cloth, which means strips of linen. Not a nice, fine silk blanket from Persia, by the way. Strips of linen in a manger, where the stinky, smelly, 
horse manure, and everything that animals produce and what a barn smells like. Who knows what a barn smells like? I know what a barn smells like. I mean, in its best day of you trying to clean up the barn, it's still going to smell like a barn, right? So Jesus would be put in the place that seemed to be unsanitary, where the animals eat, where it would smell, where there'd be poor sanitation, where only who would be ever be staying in the inn, by the way. I'm sorry, in the manger. If somebody had to stay in the manger, you, have a, you can deduct a couple things. Number one, they were poor. Or number two, they were late for the party. And probably late because here's pregnant mama. You're not going very fast 75 miles on a donkey. So by the time you get there, the inn is taken. So the only ones that would probably be staying in the manger would be the lowly, the poor, those that either couldn't afford or were the last. And Jesus taught us that the last shall be first, okay? And so the fact that he was born in the manger is, po- is very powerful where the horses eat because of several reasons. Jesus said himself he's the bread of life. Jesus said this crazy thing, unless you eat in my flesh and drink in my blood, you can't be my disciples. And so 500 of, his, of the so-called followers walked away because what he said they didn't understand. Of course, Jesus didn't want you to be a cannibal. It's not Jesus the cannibal. The point that he was making is that I'm the bread of life. Anybody that's thirsty or hungry can come to me. And now the manna, the what is it that, that the heavenly father gave to the Israelites in the desert? I am that manna, he says. I'm the what is it? Manna means what is it, by the way. And I don't know how much you know in the Bible or the visitors or anybody else in the desert. Coming out of Egypt, God fed his people with manna, which means what is it? Manna means what is it? Jesus is the ultimate answer to the question. But you got to ask the question because when you go, what is it? And you consume of that bread, man, watch out. So you come to this place of, of having a healthy question, and which creates a pursuit in your heart. I had a lot of questions about God, a lot of questions. But when I said yes first, and I took the step of faith first, suddenly my questions began, started to begin to be answered because he answers the question of the what is it. Now he's my daily bread, the Lord's Prayer. How, everybody probably should know the Lord's Prayer, for goodness sakes, for I heard it a thousand times. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And he's not talking about you going to your job and giving you some bread, cheese, money. He's talking about a spiritual bread. That's why every day we have to eat. So Jesus would come to replace. He would provide another food source now to broken, sick humanity. And he would use the manger as the picture of how God reveals himself today because God has come so that the animals, because carnal nature, carnal, anywhere you see in the Bible where it talks about to be carnally minded is hatred towards God, the word carnal, we get the word carnivore or carnivorous, which means flesh-eating, animals. It's the premise and the mindset that God came to crucify the animal nature and that God came to provide a better way to those that were far and distant from him. For God so loved the world that he gave because he didn't want anybody to perish. He wants everybody to have life now and for eternity. So it'd be born in this place where the animals are, where it stinks, where they're smelly, where they're outcasts, where they don't seem to fit, 
and he would come in a way that didn't make sense to your natural mind, and he would lower himself, he would lower himself so low to come into the darkest, most seemingly uncommon place to save humanity. That's what God does. Let's talk briefly about the inn. The inn is a really unique Greek word. It's uh, kataluma, and the word first means a lodging place where you can eat and dine. It means a lodging place or a dining room. So think of a hotel that's got a restaurant. That's what the word means. It means a place to lodge and a place to eat. Now, I want you to notice the comparison. There's no room there at the end for him, okay? Now, the root word of this word, kataluma, the root word is kataleo in the Greek. And that, that word means, first, to throw down, dissolve, demolish, overthrow, render vain, deprive of success, bring to naught any form of institution and government. That's the root word of the word kataluma. Because the, because the premises of the story of an inn or a hotel is that it's a place where you halt your journey, where you unpack the weight of your animals and you unpack the weight of your life, you get to rest. So, so think of the comparison. It's a halt and a journey. The inn would be a place where you stop to rest and unpack. But the ultimate meaning is, is it's a stopping or a dissolution of a system or a government or another way of living. And Jesus would be side by side where the, this place was full and people were stopping for the night at a place to lodge where they're eating. So it halted their journey. But now Jesus... There's no room there because there's a picture that the world will not stop their journey for him to dine and lodge with him because God, he even said, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock in Revelations. Anybody that opens the door, I'm going to come in and dine with you. So the premise that I'm trying to teach you is, is there's this parallel picture of the inn that's full. Why would the inn be full? And who fills up the inn first? People that have money or people that got there first. First come, first serve, or the wealthy, the leaders, the noblemen, those that had the money and the wealth. And it doesn't mean that the wealth and the rich people won't make it to heaven, but there's a biblical understanding that people that trust in their wealth and their riches and in their journey and doing it their way or their government or their standard of living, that God was coming now. And ultimately, when there's no room there and people wouldn't seem to want to stop for him, he would go now to the people that would receive him and accept him and that needed it the most. And then, fast forward, you got to catch the picture of the fact that the inn was full on purpose. The inn, there was a purpose to the inn being full because Jesus would now, instead of dining and lodging there, he would be put in a place to be dined and lodged upon in the manger. And that's a powerful, powerful word. Powerful word. There's some revelation. Some of you may not have got that. Just meditate on it. Jesus would not have the comforts of the shelter from the outside world. He would put himself in the outside world. You see that? Because the Bible says he makes the outcast a strong nation. It's not your own might, your own strength, your own wealth, is your own riches, how good looking you are, the clothes you wear. It's not the comforts of this world that, are gonna, that, are, that Jesus comes in. He comes in a lowly, broken place because he wants us to find our strength in lowliness and brokenness with him, not in how good I look today. I think I look nice. Hopefully I look nice. My wife wants to take a picture. 
But the premise is it's much bigger than that. The premise is it's not about this. It's about him and humbling myself and reaching out to the outcasts and those that are broken, hurting, lost, dying, or even the seemingly unbecoming ones that would be anti-Christian like the sorcerers or the magi. So let's just briefly talk about them. Nathan, why don't you go ahead and get ready because I'm going to just make this point quickly and then we're going to close, okay? Let's just read Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 12 quickly before we finish. Matthew chapter 2, we'll start with verse 1 and we'll just read the story of the, the, wise, the wise men, okay? Now, by the way, the wise men kneeling in the manger is not a reality. I'm sorry for our, all of our nativity scenes. We can have fun with it. We have a nativity scene that was passed down for the generations. Many of you have them under your tree. Wise men kneeling there. It's nice, but it's two stories put together. The wise man came sometime after Jesus' birth, between his birth and two years of age, okay? Which is another fascinating fact, because we think, ta-da, here comes Jesus out of his mother's womb and stars in the sky, okay? Might have happened, but more likely the star appeared at a later time because there had to be an exact setup to fulfill another prophecy, which was, a, which was a hard, hurting prophecy where all the firstborn children two years of age and under would die because King Herod was the ultimate narcissist and he was the ultimate uh, selfish, controlling, manipulative king. He had, his, he had wives ki killed. He had his kids killed at many times because he thought they were out to overthrow his throne. I mean, this guy had major, major control issues. So when he found out that there was a supposed star and the wise men showed up, which the star had to lead them first to Jerusalem, by the way, to fulfill this prophecy, it was all divine intervention in every way. And as much as it was a tragedy, the incredible story is this picture of war and darkness and death and destruction and life coming in the midst of it. Remember how I started this today with the tension? Jesus had a death wish on his life by the time he was two right? Incredible. And so the wise men are also known as the word for wise men in the Greek is magos or magi. You've heard the word magi, certainly. You know what that word is short for? Magic. They're magicians. They're zo they're, they actually were Zoroastroastrianisms. They practiced Zoroastrianism. New Age and astrology and sorcery and witchcraft at its finest. But somehow, and if you do a study on Wikipedia about the, mag the Magi, there's so many theories of how they would have known the star was pointing to the king, would point to the king of the Jews. We don't have an accurate picture in the Bible. All we, all we know is they knew. Now, how? There's all kinds of theories. They had passed through one time. There was a, a legend coming through. And by the way, coming from the east, you know where they came from? Persia. You know what Persia is today? Modern-day Iran, just so that you know. So these were like, and seemingly the worst of the worst, and these people were watching the stars, and they were, they were called wise men, and they were pretty wise to do what they did, but the ultimate picture here is that here they are looking at astro their astrologers, looking in the sky. They had gotten some sort of legend. Did they fully know if the legend was true? Probably not. But they'd heard the legends, like the legend of William Wallace. I mean, there's all these legends out there. But they see this star, and they had heard about the promise of a star. There's a, there's a potential scripture in the Old Testament that points to the star of Jacob, by the way. Okay? And then there's all these words that they had had somehow, some way. And we can talk about that forever. How? Do some research. It's fun. 
But the point is, is we know that they were, they were uh, practicing witchcraft, astrologers, and magi is short for ma magicians. Same word as Simon the sorcerer, Simon the magi. Okay, you can do some research on that. So they're watching in the sky, and they see the sign of the star. And here they come from the east. If they came from Iran, it was an 1,117-mile journey, by the way. 1,117 miles to follow a star. And they knew something had to happen in a sign. And it even says in the Old Testament about the, the virgin being born to a child, it said, and this will be a sign for you. That's why signs are important. They follow the sign, leads them to Jerusalem. They talk to Herod. Herod's like, what are you talking about? And he gathers the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, and they say, oh, yeah, there's this prophetic word that the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. And so uh, Herod tries to trick the mag Magi by saying, hey, go find him, and when you find him, bring back news so I can go worship him, which was deceptive lie, right? So they go out, and I love this scripture. I believe it's verse 7. I'm sorry, it's verse 9 and 10. They walk out. Uh, verse 9, you pull it up, says, when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was, and when they saw the star, star they rejoiced with exceeding joy. Why would they rejoice with exceeding joy? Probably wiped out from the journey. They get to Jerusalem and nobody cares. Nobody even knew. I guess no one else saw it. And they probably picked up that something seems uh, wrong and they got pretty discouraged by the fact that nobody's excited. Here, we've come bearing gifts, thousand miles, and now something seems off and the star must have led us to the wrong place. We must have totally been wrong and they walk outside from Herod's palace, and they look up, and bam, there's the star. Just when you think you're the most discouraged and beat down, you went on a long journey, maybe it was a waste of time. Maybe God wasn't really there. God has a way of showing you his promise, and he'll do it. And so, of course, you know the story. They come bearing gifts. They find him. They had already prepared the gifts. Think about that. Astrologers, the, the seemingly wicked, the new agers, the psychics, all the people. That's why I'm telling you guys, the harvest that's going to come, God is so much more powerful than you think. And, he, and the harvest that's going to come is going to come from the drug dealer, the human trafficker. It's going to get born again. And what are you going to do when the guy that you know has been trafficking 100 women and prostitutes or the pimp or the head of, the, of cheetahs walks in this place? I think he's even been here before. Or the psychic heard, heard about what's happening at Rock City and heard about a guy like me or you and walks in and sits down right next to you. And one of you once went to him or her's place. Oh, my God. I hope they don't recognize me. Sheesh. I was hanging out at that strip club last week. No, you better not have been. No, I'm just kidding. But actually, that's going to happen. These are the ones that are going to come in, right? Do you get the picture of what I wanted to paint for you today? And that's my message for you. Is Jesus is still coming to a manger. Welcome to the manger of Rock City. Let's just make this one big trough. And let's let the magi, those that seem to be against what we stand for, the Satanists, the atheists, come on, let them come. You think God doesn't have a way of rescuing them? You think God can't do it? You think God doesn't love you? You know what the Lord said to me? The, not, the day that my mom passed away, I didn't even realize I was in the hospital. And the thing happened with the 333s and the nurse. 
You know what the Lord said to me? I heard this so clear. He said, you give yourself too much credit. And you don't give me enough credit. Because I live in this world of thinking it's all on my shoulders. The government rests upon his shoulders. I live in this world of thinking I need to be better. I, need, I should have more faith. Why, why, why aren't I doing, praying more, doing this more? Why aren't I not good enough? And I'm constantly, and the Lord said, you give yourself too much credit. I'm a good dad. He said it just like that. My kids will never, my daughter and son never has to be good enough to get all my love. Ever. So I'll stand. You have been listening to a message from David Bindet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stay fired up!